Hey guys, welcome to the Marriage Millennials Podcast. It is 7.10 p.m. on Wednesday, September 23rd. Welcome back and thanks again for listening. And if you're new, hey, I'm your host, Rochelle, creator of marriagemillennials.com, where I help millennials see God's design for faith, smart dating, and marriage. Pretty much, I share tools for millennials to honor Christ before a spouse and with one and prepare them for family if that is a current desire they have. Now, before we get started, I want to tell you where you can keep the convo going with us after the end of this podcast, as well as some housekeeping for the site. This will be posted on the site marriagemillennials.com, so if you have any questions, feel free to comment below on that post, or you can visit our Facebook page backslash mfmillennials. My Twitter and IG handle is at Rochelle Shoyola, and Sam's is Samuel Shoyola. So feel free to follow and talk with us there as well. Also, our podcast is on all listening outlets, so subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. Just type Marriage Millennials in the search bar and it will pop up for you. Last thing, if you've been following or even if you haven't, there are a ton of cool things on the site from our free workbooks to um, our 25 questions to ask while dating playbook products and more so feel free to check those out as well Alrighty, guys let's jump in hey guys welcome back to another podcast um how are you guys how are you holding up hope you are having a great i guess mid week <laughs> um sam and i are well uh, Sam was not able to join us again on this podcast, but trust me, we will do a part two um, because Sam definitely has a lot to say on this topic that we're going to talk about today. All right, well, um, in fun news, um, I have officially um, decided to stay home with my little one. So I've been a stay-at-home mom for about a week now. Um, our little one has started to teethe. Um, so, you know, she's growing and I'm glad that I'm here for it, but overall we are doing well. All right. So let's get into today's podcast all about purity culture. I'm really excited to talk about this, um, because I just feel like it's such a refreshing perspective. Hopefully you feel that way that I think I have, um, on this topic. I just think that, um, I want to talk about the blind spots, right? Um, things are good with good intention, right, when it comes to purity culture. But there are a couple of things that um, I've seen over the years or that many people have seen over the years and commented on the effect that purity culture has on young women um, in the Christian faith. So that's what we are going to talk about today, the blind spots um, of purity culture. I'm going to give you three. All right. So just to give anybody that is does not know what purity culture is or needs a refresher, um, purity culture is the term often used for evangelical movement um, that attempts to promote a biblical view of purity by discouraging dating and promoting virginity before marriage, often through the, u- the use of tools such as purity vows and symbols such as purity rings. Um, right. Uh, purity culture, it's been around since like the 1990s um, and it still makes its way into homes and youth church groups today. Um, but like I said earlier, with all things, it too has its blind spots. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We'll touch a little bit on purity culture history. Um, we'll, I'll give you three blind spots in that way of teaching. 
and um, talk about how we can get a more clear view of God's design for us as women. Now, before we get started, go ahead and click that subscribe button. Share this podcast if you like our content as well. Um, Visibility matters, and we want this message to not only hit your ears, but everyone else's. Um, Sam and I love doing this from our hearts, free of charge, and all we ask is that you spread the love. Um, You cannot beat that. So let's jump in. The Gospel Coalition writes, The purity culture movement began in the 1990s as Christians who were children or teens during the beginning of the 1960s era sexual revolution began to have children and teenagers of their own. By the early years of the 1990s, AIDS had become the number one cause of death for the United States men ages 25 to 44, and the teen pregnancy rate had reached an all-time high. The number of premarital sex partners had also increased substantially since the 1970s. For example, in the 1970s, only 2% of American women had more than 10 sexual partners before marriage. In the 1990s, that percentage had increased to 10%, um, and in 2010, it was even 18%. So at the time, many evangelicals were reaching out to the negative effects of sex outside of marriage and attempted to once again ground sexuality in biblical ethics. In 1992, Richard Ross, a youth ministry consultant at Lifeway Christian Resources, presented the theme of True Love Waits in a brainstorming session for a potential Christian sex education campaign. A year later, Southern Baptists adopted the program with the goal of 100,000 signed commitment cards, purity pledges, by the time of their next annual convention. In 1994, True Love Waits held a rally in Washington, D.C. with 25,000 youth and displayed 210,000 commitment cards on the National Mall between the Capitol and the Washington Monument. Four years later, Josh Harris produced his first book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which promoted abstinence and popularized the concept of courting as an alternative to dating. The book went on to sell more than a million copies and became a primary text of the purity culture movement. All right, y'all. So that is the history background of purity culture, right? So, you know, I grew up with the teachings of purity culture. Now, we may not have called it that specifically. Um, we didn't, actually. Um, it was more so called don't have sex <laughs> um, and don't bring a baby into this house. Don't have sex. Don't fornicate, right? That was all we knew. Um, and here's the thing. You know, the intentions are good, right? I don't want you to think that what I'm saying here is we shouldn't talk about abstinence, right? I don't want you to think that what I'm saying here is that we should encourage women to engage in premarital sex, to get pregnant before marriage, or any of that. That is not what I'm saying (laughs) at all. Um, There are benefits to these teachings, right? Um, But I want to talk about the blind spots in these teachings how the way we deliver these teachings have indirect effects that can prevent us from walking with the Lord in a more well-rounded way. All right. So the first blind spot of purity culture is that it it creates women who don't know or care, quite frankly, about any other part of God's word, 
right? When mothers and older women in the church or um, whoever is leading the young women, when they put a heavy focus on purity culture, young women have no choice but to idolize it, right? And can you blame them, right? These days, the heart of most women are, if you talk to them, they're either trying to focus on being a virgin or they've graduated to level two where they are just trying to focus on the preparation of marriage and that's it, right? That's as far as their heart goes for the Lord. They don't know any other, they don't know any other scripture. They don't have any other other understanding of God's word because it wasn't made to be important to them, right? Um, and so you'll find them staying right in that pocket of abstinence, Proverbs 31, Titus 2, all of that stuff, right? But the crazy thing about it is you get a better view of Christ's design for loving someone, sex, and marriage when you step out of the box of those verses. There are so many stories in the word that can teach you things that you can apply to yourself in honoring your body for the Lord. Um, and even when you get married, that aren't in Proverbs or Titus 2. Um, so it's important that um, we have a heart for the Lord that goes beyond those verses. Now, taking this a step further, right? When you don't know any other area of the word, teachings on abstinence become rules of right and wrong as opposed to walking with Christ in his protection, right? So now you have a bunch of women who um, are bound to legalism, right? It's just like right and wrong, and they don't understand the world outside of that as it pertains to Christ. As a result, abstinence becomes harder because it's the only thing they think about. They focus on it all the time, especially, you know, at that age where your hormones are kind of doing its thing, right? Now, I'm not saying that if you have a well-rounded view of the word that you will still not struggle with being abstinent, right? That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is if you continue to think about a thing and you focus in on that thing alone, in your Christian faith, you're going to eventually fall short to it. I can guarantee it, right? Because it's always on the brain and we are not perfect. So that's something that, you know, I really have a heart for because I think that, you know, just with the terms biblical womanhood, women feel like their only place that the Lord has for them is to be a wife and a mother. And while those are great things, things that women should want to be good at, right? Um, you know, literacy, biblical literacy is not just reserved for your pastor or for your husband. It's reserved for you too. So, um, and when we have an accurate depiction of God's word, we're able to apply it better and walk our lives better and understand what honoring our body to the Lord actually looks like um, in real life. So, two, self-righteousness. This is a big one, right? The second point is that when you only focus on abstinence um, and in purity culture, women start thinking that abstinence is their ticket to heaven, right? And they start being defined by their virginity. They feel like it is the only thing about, only thing worthy about them, right? I remember catching up with somebody and we talked about God, you know, being a young woman in today's world and all that jazz. And the next thing that came out of the girl's mouth, I mean, God bless her, I don't think she meant any harm, was, you know, well, 
I'm not like these other women out here, right? At least I'm still a virgin. And, you know, it was said in a kind of condescending way. Again, I don't think she meant any harm, but, you know, you could tell that she really placed value in that and assumed that the women she was comparing herself to had a lesser value because they engaged in premarital sex. And that's what I mean, right? We create a system of women that are not only competing with one another and being self-righteous, but that are totally missing the point of the gospel, right? Now, taking it a step more further for this point is because of that self-righteousness, you have women in the Christian faith, right, who have fallen short as it pertains to premarital sex, and now they feel inadequate and they don't feel... Um, like they want to admit this or, you know, have anyone walk alongside them because they're ashamed, right? And they believe that since they had sex before marriage, everything is going to go wrong now. Like, I'm done, right? And this is taken away from the beauty of God's grace for us, right? God didn't just come for the virgin. He came for those who believe in him. And some of those people have had premarital sex. That's just the truth. Now, the last one, the last point I have is that you have the wrong idea of sex and dating with purity culture. Now, the first part of this point is that we have not taught women the beauty of sex in the context of marriage, right? And again, age appropriate, right? I'm not saying that we need to teach everybody everything at every age, right? Of course, use wisdom. Um, but when we approach sex in a way that's just kind of like don't have that and we stop it right there with no other context, women view sex as a bad thing and that's not what God designed sex to be, right? I mean, read Songs of Solomon, right? We all know what he was talking about. Sex is a wonderful thing, and God's guidelines for sex are for the protection of our women, right? And young women need to see sex explained to them in its full context. My next point to this is women also think that they shouldn't have a desire for sex, and this also isn't true, right? Then they look at secular culture, who is honest, honest in the wrong way, but honest, um, or more relatable, I would say, and then they say, well, these secular teachings match the way my body feels. So this must make more sense, right? It is totally fine for women to desire sex. And we need to explain that um, in an appropriate way. We need to explain that. They just need to be taught how to manage that desire well and that there is a time and a place. My third point to this, and this is major, 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 major. We haven't taught women who a man must be to marry them. We just send women out and say, don't have sex, right? And then years later, um, we say, where's your husband? When we haven't even instructed them on what that man should even be. And so as a result, Christian women either struggle with dating um, or they think that the first man that walks into their life needs to be their husband just because he attends church on Sundays. And it's not that simple. Last, women look at sex as disgusting. There are so many women that get married, you know, okay, so you did it. You didn't have sex, you 
met a guy and decided to marry him and now it's time to consummate and you're scared, right? There are women that get married and they can't be intimate because they were taught indirectly to hate sex, to look at sex as disgusting. And the beauty of marriage is hard to experience because they have a skewed view of it and that just doesn't go away overnight. Now you're in a lot of, you know, marriage counseling trying to fix things uh, mentally because of how sex was explained to you. So, you know, church, let's do better. Again, I definitely feel like our intentions are pure. We want our women to... Um, Save themselves for their husband. It is a beautiful thing. I mean, if you ask any married person, if you would have known then what you know now, would you have saved yourself for your spouse? A hundred percent of them, well, let me be fair and generous. Maybe 95. You still might have that 5% of people who just don't care. But a lot of them would say, yes, I wish I would have, right? And so... Purity culture is, or the desire for women to be pure in their bodies, it's not a bad thing at all, not at all. Um, but there are other, there are blind spots where if we do not um, explain the idea of purity um, in a better way, and if we continue to limit purity to sex, um, then you're going to have a lot of women that are just confused and navigate this thing all wrong. So to conclude... Our teachings of purity should be less about just our bodies and more about resting in Christ, right? It also takes a lot more work than just teaching, and it needs modeling, right? We can't teach against sex while not nurturing our women and helping them to not do so, right? We can't teach against sex without while allowing TV, media, and society in our home that promote it. We had to take a more hands-on approach with our women so that they will be pure in their love for the Lord. And that is not just limited to their bodies. All right, guys, that is all I have for you today. Um, I am pretty sure we will be doing a part two because Sam had some extra points um, and he was bummed he couldn't make the podcast. Um, so look out for that. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast again if you haven't. And go ahead and share this as well to somebody you think this will bless. Alrighty, guys. Until next time. Bye.